0: Hey, crack fans. Welcome back, Crack fans, to another edition of the Crack Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we are joined by UCF women's tennis head coach Brian Kinyeko. Of course, we were fortunate enough to chat with Coach Kinyeko last season as he guided his team to the NCAA Sweet 16. Of course, we talked to Coach Kinyeko today under slightly different circumstances. Now, his team dealt with many injury struggles in the early portions of the season, but they are finally getting healthy. And if you look at their results from the past weekend's victories over BYU, Harvard, and of course the 4-3 victory at home over Oklahoma State, you see the outline of a team that is certainly rounding into form and will absolutely be a problem for any opponent across the country as we approach the NCAA tournament in May. Of course, I wanted on today's show to talk to Coach Kenyako about this past weekend's results, also talk about what is a new team, there are a couple of fresh. Been contributing in major ways, how have they been able to have such success so early in their seasons? Of course, what did he and his team learn about themselves as trying to, as they tried to navigate the various injuries that have popped up on their roster? And then, of course, I talked to Coach Kenyako about some of the big picture. Items in college tennis. How has recruiting changed? How do we continue to grow this sport that we love so dearly? It is a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, you will have already heard the first 10 minutes of this conversation on this week's episode of The Deciding Point as Coach Koneka was our coach of the week given the performance of his UCF Knights. I hope you know for those of you who listen to that podcast, I suppose just skip ahead through that part as we've got 30 more minutes for you of new content, but perhaps some of you want to re-listen to that or perhaps some of you will be hearing it for the first time. So again, here is my long-form conversation with Coach Kinyako. Of course, if you want to hear more about what's happening in the college tennis world, GSPs, Tuesday, Thursday, live on our YouTube channel. We're talking all things men's and women's Division One college tennis. Of course, you can find those as podcasts Wednesday and Friday on the Great Shot podcast feed. A shout out to our friends at Swing Vision for their continued support. And of course, use that promo code CRACK20 at sign up to get a bunch of free things and let them know that we sent you there of course to learn more about swing vision click on the link in the description to this podcast but enough with the plugs you didn't come to here to hear them you came to hear from UCF women's tennis coach Brian Konyako so with that in mind super producer Daniel Westoff, roll the clip let's get to today's interview Joining us on the podcast once again today is now a returning champion here to our Cracked Racket Show, and a man whose team has won their last three matches, a 3-0 weekend, including an impressive 4-3 win on Sunday over Oklahoma State. Now, I'd argue the BYU win, Harvard win, impressive as well, but certainly a team on the rise, getting healthy, and the head coach of that team joining us today. Please welcome to the show the UCF women's tennis head coach, Brian Kenyako. Coach, welcome back. Congratulations. Congratulations on the fantastic weekend. I imagine
1: you're doing well, but how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a exciting weekend for us, but uh, back to practice today and uh, on to the next one.
0: I'm always curious, after a weekend like that, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, I believe your team played, and mm. you, know, you come from the Ty Tucker co- coaching circle, do you give them the Monday off? Is that like a no chance we're t- hitting a ball on Monday?
1: they had their monday off yeah <laughs> i think and say it rules we got to give them a day off yeah so, so, uh,
0: sure that plays a factor as well but i feel like sometimes you're like you know what we're actually going to push that day off to tuesday right like i feel like you can play with the day off right
1: we can yeah you're right yeah okay. we uh yeah i mean we sometimes we'll do it but um they uh we were proud they competed so hard and they obviously deserved it so they uh Deserve to enjoy some time off, and uh, they did what they needed to do, and uh, so we gave them that Monday.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, again, a well-deserved uh, day off. And, you know, again, for our listeners, fans of the show, who perhaps are unfamiliar with the success you guys have had, and maybe some of you see our dog, Quavo, has come into the equation here, um, my question would be, you know, <clears> looking <throat> at your team coming off of a sweet 16, and you got a lot of those players back on the roster this season, but you were also, you know, got a lot of health issues for your team early in the season. Now you've won three in a row, and it does seem like you guys, whether it's starting off with the 4-3 win over Michigan in Orlando, yeah, I saw that. It hurt. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, we have you on today. But, you know, it felt like that was almost a turning point in your team season and obviously a culmination here with the 3-0 and weekend. Is that a fair assessment? Is it fair to say we have now started the second act of the UCF 2022 season?
1: Yeah. I, I Yeah, I think it is okay. fair. You know, I think after... Um, after that weekend you know we got a little more healthy for for the baylor and michigan weekend um and uh then we had a weekend off so you know you're right we did kind of actually talk to that to the team about that that okay now we're we're kind of getting back to it we're we're going to be smart and um try to get ready for the second half we know we have an important stretch um you know but like it, it, it is what it is you know i mean that's kind of where we were all season we've been you know, asking players to to step up and and, uh, try to do the best that they can. And um, honestly, like, you know, even we've had uh, some ups and downs in the beginning with injuries. I mean, every player that's been in the the mix and in the lineup have been competing really hard, whether it's sometimes we're with four or five or six. um, That's all we can ask for, you know. I mean, we can't control some things, but – Obviously, we just hope to keep improving and each week to get better. And I do feel that since January, we've been doing that and we need to do it for another six more weeks and hopefully we'll um, try to accomplish some goals that we have.
0: Yeah, and to that point, looking through your team statistics, and I wanted to double check and make sure you've already played twelve doubles teams this season. Which congratulations, that's got to be the high in the country. I know part of that is a byproduct of obviously the injuries that you've had. At the same time, you know you take that doubles point against Oklahoma State this weekend. You take the doubles point against Baylor. I believe you took it against Michigan as well. Uh, you know doubles is something you guys have continued to have success in. To what do you credit that success? How valuable have those one zero leads been particularly given some of the injury struggles.
1: Yeah, obviously it was so valuable. I mean, with Michigan and Oklahoma State, I mean, and Baylor, I mean, all these matches that I mean, even Harvard, I mean, all these matches that you know, sometimes if you don't go up one zero, um, you know, it makes it a could extend that match another forty five minutes to an hour, and uh, so um, we've had a lot of like you said, we've we've had um, you know some some players banged up, and we've also had two freshmen who came in and. January and Noel and Sophia. So that obviously not having them in the fall, um, we've had some visa issues with COVID and all of that stuff. So, you know, pushing them to January didn't give us a lot of room in the fall to play around with who's compatible with each other. And um, that's probably led to the 12 different teams that we've had and just seeing who's kind of meshing well together. But um, we tried to um, instill a system where, um everyone is kind of on the same page and knows exactly what we do so we can um mix up teams when we need to and and when we have to so um you know i think it it's been taking a little bit especially for our freshmen to get on like where balls need to be hit where they need to stand i mean playing real women's doubles instead of just junior doubles and so it's been taking a minute but um it's been great, and, and Marie Mattel and, and Evgenia Levishova has been playing some serious ball in doubles, and hopefully they can keep improving.
0: Yeah, no, again, it, those one zero leads have been noticeable, and it's obviously just across the board your team is having success, uh, success early in doubles. You know, I mentioned earlier you guys bring back some faces from a team that last year made the Sweet 16 and was a heartbeat away from that quarterfinal match, and, you know, That said, you talk about the freshmen you've brought in. You also look at, you know, it's a new coaching staff, not just you, but you're adding some others to the mix as well. Has it felt like a new group? Has it felt like a new season? How different have things been this year?
1: Um, Yeah, interesting you say that. I I do think, yes, I do think uh, we had to kind of evaluate and see um, what we need to do better and what we need to do different. Obviously, um, you know, Coach Lloyd has been – has been tremendous with our team he's been he's been awesome Uh, you know as much as we you know Christina has what impact she made on the program for the five years that she was here with us has been incredible and uh, awesome to see her doing so well at Arkansas and uh, now coach Lloyd is, is incredible he's as into it as any coach there is in the country of recruiting and player development so we're lucky to have him um, and, uh, yeah, there's definitely some things that we have to do different. And, um, obviously some things that, although we had a great year last year, there's some things that we needed to improve on in terms of, um, body language and energy and, um, just giving, finding a way to give more fight and, and doing more for the team. So, uh, you know, we've been, um, trying to preach that, um, you know, y- your, your boys in, uh, in Michigan do a good pretty good job of that and we took notice a little bit and and uh, so did day and i think you know th- those are the things that are important and we try to preach and um i think we've been doing a, a better job week by week starting in just since january with mm-hmm. that
0: yeah. And again, I want to ask you about all the individual performers. We'll save that for the long-form cracked interviews conversation. But as you look at this team and you talk about that fight, you guys are 10-6 and 6 overall. And, you know, I think the majority of non-conference play is now out of the way. You've got conference schedule coming up. And certainly, you know, with the ranked wins over Michigan, over a Baylor, over in Oklahoma State. I think it's safe to say you guys have probably played yourself back into certainly the NCAA tournament more broadly. Uh but now how how you know what is the focus for you all down the home stretch given that it feels like again, finally healthy. I feel like we still don't know what the ceiling of your team may be. Is that a fair assessment? Do you know how good you can be yet?
1: Um I I do. I do. Sure. I mean I obviously we can be dangerous. I think we can give, I think we can give, uh, you know, the best teams in the country, a, a scare with the doubles point and, and with some of how, how our players are, are playing. And I think our freshmen are, if I look back to how they played in January and the beginning of February, I'm really, really happy with the progress. So, um, I'd love to see how another four weeks of working like this will take us. Um, but with that being said, I, you know, we remind the team also, we have to remember that if a couple of things don't go our way against the Michigans and against the Oklahoma States, I mean, we could be sitting here at at uh, seven and nine or whatever, you know, that that record could be. So we're minutes away from where we are and we're minutes away from another place and we have to remember that and I think now like you said we're going to place a lot of matches on the road we're going to go to a tough environment in Tulsa and SMU so um, everything we've done is out the door and we're going to play in the tough away environments and what happened yesterday doesn't matter and we have to just find ways to kind of keep improving because we saved match point against Oklahoma State so it feels good now but you know one point later it could be a different feeling and I I think we have to stay humble and remember that.
0: Mm -hmm. No, again, the press office just called. That was a fantastic answer, Um, and obviously, I think that's the right perspective to have. But you know, my final question for you here: you mentioned fighting off the match point against Oklahoma State. Four three sets overall, your team takes three of them. Is that a heart attack? Like, obviously, in the end, you're like, how proud you are of your team. But the emotions—is that like a? It's that's a four beer night, right? Where you're like, oh my god, like this was just. Brutal
1: could have been more, um, yeah. but it, yeah. I mean, the match was crazy to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had uh, Noel at number two was up four one mm-hmm. loses the, the set. Kelly um, was up five, zero and at three singles loses the set. Marie had set points at, at four loses the set. Um, you know, so I mean there, it, it was after the doubles for the first, probably 45 minutes, it looked really good for the Knights and Oklahoma state did an unbelievable job to kind of flip that. And the last 45 minutes was looking really grim, um, for us. Um, but a couple things turned, you know, a little bit of luck, a little bit of fighting and, uh, we found ourselves able to kind of dig in, you know, and Marie and, 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 uh, Sophia just did incredible to just stay alive and keep competing. And I thought both teams did a great job of just the physicality of it was such a high level. And, you know, Both teams kind of deserved it, to be honest, at that point. But it came down to a couple and we got lucky.
0: Yeah, no, again, you talk about the depth in college tennis, and I think every team's got it, and that's what makes all these matches so fun. It's who wins the deuce points on any given day, and, you know, it's a couple of times now after perhaps the deuce points broke against you early in the season. They're starting to go your way now, and, you know, now the Knights are dangerous. They're making moves. So, Coach, obviously congratulations to you and the team on a fantastic weekend, and, uh, again, I look forward to seeing what you guys can do because clearly uh, there's some skill down there in Orlando.
1: Yeah, well I appreciate Alex and I love the uh, making college tennis interesting with the videos and the the coverage. So I actually watch it now so we appreciate it. <laughs> thank
0: you. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure coach. Yeah. Thank you. We are back with UCF women's tennis head coach Brian Kinyeko and I appreciate all of you cracked interviews listeners who got to hear the first part of this interview twice, as you may have heard us talking about him, him and his team uh, on this week's episode of the Deciding Point. But you know, again, Coach, I alluded to it earlier. I'm, I'm. I feel like it was a longer than two minute answer. That's why I wanted to save it for this part. How frustrating were the injuries early in the season? You know, how did you manage to keep things together? Because, again, some losses piled up early in January, right? And at the start of February. And, you know, I feel like it would have been very easy for the team to say, you know what? It's, it's just not our year. Things just aren't breaking our way. How did you manage to keep things together?
1: Um. Yeah, it- It is obviously frustrating because you, and it's for the players too. It's Mm -hmm. frustrating. You know, I mean, we have to remember that, like it's frustrating for the coach, but like, you know, the players are the ones that want to play and they work, you know, they work so hard during the year for this small window of opportunity right here. Um, Obviously we work really hard to recruit and get these players in and have a vision for the program before we want it to be. And sometimes it doesn't happen, but um, I think we have a lot of conversations on just controlling what we can control and and uh you know we just have goals of of not winning matches we have goals of how we kind of want to be perceived and how we want to act and how we want to be remembered and um kind of just take initiative in that in those kind of actions and if and things will end up going our way you know in in tough moments and we have to believe that so um that's we just a lot of conversations about you know what? How did you do today on your court? You have a job to try to get a point and a half for UCF, and um, are you able to do it? You know, so you can't control your teammates. You can't control everything. You're in charge of a point and a half, and and uh, you do what you can.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that taking ownership of your individual spot. You know, looking at your victories and your team has had a lot of success, certainly at the bottom of the lineup. But if I were to ask you, give me the match calculus, right? What are the your quickest pathway to four points? I feel like you would say. Well, who are we playing? Like, it really depends on the matchup. It really depends on the given day. And is that? I mean, I'm sure at times it's both, right—a burden and a blessing for you as a coach.
1: Yeah, you like just finding finding the path. You made. Yeah, 100%. I mean? Yeah,
0: a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, of course. Like, you know, there's always a little bit of calculating there for sure. But obviously, like for our season this year, we have a lot of trust in our veterans and in, in Marie. And uh, Nandini, um, like they've been, they've been rocks for us not only this year but for a long time. And uh, singles and doubles, and they get, they get the energy in college tennis. They understand momentum. Um, they're just, they're smart and 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 as good as competitors as I've ever coached. So that's obviously a big trust. And and Lovashova has been. Um, has been great for us too. It's, she's at a tough spot in number one and playing, we have a tough schedule. So she's playing against a great player every single day. So it's, it's tough to bring it, uh, all the time, but she's, you know, put herself in some opportunities to win. Um, obviously didn't have the best weekend that she wanted to last weekend, but, um, she works the right way. She tries to be positive and, uh, you know, and then our freshmen are getting better. So, um, you know, and, and Jaleesa Leslie, honestly, she uh, has been dealing with some things and she, you know, came out, haven't played in a while and, and was able to get a win over Michigan and Baylor. So those were were awesome. And, you know, I wouldn't say surprising because we believe in her, but, um, you know, you never know when you just come out from an injury. But obviously we, we are leaning heavily on our seniors of keeping the ship afloat and uh, they've been doing really well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You talk about Levishova up at that top spot. And, you know, again, what just the, I know the record isn't the, isn't, you know, the best right now for her, but talk to me about what that, what that does for the rest of the team. Again, her stepping up to the number one spot. I, I imagine, again, just the value of having the senior leader up there that just helps everyone else.
1: Yeah. You know, you know, we all know uh, what G is capable of. I sure. mean, she's able to produce some, some ridiculous tennis and um she's strong she's physical she's got a great serve she knows how to play at the net um and uh you know I, I feel like she's made a huge jump even from last year i mean last year she was playing a lot of matches at three and um you know she'll probably tell you that she wasn't playing as well as she wanted to and even in the fall and i think she's taken a little bit of uh, of ownership in that and she's been trying to do to do better and playing well but you know when you play a, a schedule in the beginning, like with Texas and Virginia and Miami, there's just no, there's no breaks for her. And, um, and, uh, it comes down to a couple points here and there, you know, but, um, I think she's excited. She's ready for the challenge of the second half of the year and, and trying to, uh, do well in conference. Um, but you know, we believe in her and what she can do and, uh, yeah. So,
0: when you, uh, yeah, and, you know, again, I, I want to talk about all the players here. And you mentioned the freshman earlier, and I think when you look for Noelle right now, I think it's six and seven overall or something like that in the dual matches she's finished. Obviously, she's played primarily at the number two spot. Yeah. Is is that the role you envisioned for her coming into this season? Obviously, you talked about the freshman, the January edition, and what have you seen from her that allow you know, again, for any freshman to come in and play 500 ball at the top of the lineup, that is yeah. no easy task. What's allowed her to do that?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, yeah, no, like you're right. Noelle's been thrown in a difficult situation. Um, but, it, uh, you know, we're kind of viewing it like how amazing is this for her, yeah. um, progress going forward. Like that's kind of how we're viewing it. Like if she can handle this as a freshman and stay in that 500 range, like that's, that's a, a good effort, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, she's just got a big game. I mean, she's a girl, she's probably close to six feet tall and good serve can have a big game um, working on her physicality right now to be able to last and play as hard as she can for two hours instead of an hour and 15 minutes. And she's done better uh, in that, you know, if you kind of look at her recent results, I mean, even her match against Oklahoma state, that girl is, is playing as good as anyone in college tennis, probably at number two and had her chances to, to, to run away with that one. But um, yeah, we're, we're proud of how she's, been able to handle that adversity and especially with all the stuff that's going on um, in the world with her and her family, like all that stuff. It's just, she's been, you know, we've been very happy with what she's been been able to accomplish so far.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, on the flip side with Sophia, who to beat Alana Wolfberg seven, six in the third, I mean, I don't care that Alana's coming off of injury. That is a hell of a win for a freshman and she's six and three, I think overall on the season. And, you know, I don't and correct me if I'm wrong here. I think every lineup in a reference near and dear to our heart, you need that Kyle Seelig somewhere, right? Where you're just like the person who's just going to be out there fighting, scrapping, clawing their way in and when I see Sophia, I'm just like it it just makes sense to me right away. I'm just like I see the success for her moving forward. Is that fa- like I feel like physically she's ready for college tennis and it's, you know, the flip side here is developing the weapons and taking it from yeah. 5 to 2 singles. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you do have
0: an eye for tennis. <laughs> I don't tell you've people. Seen, you've, seen, you've seen enough. It's just um, like, it's the Gladwell theory. 10,000 hours, eventually something sticks.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, you're right. She is the, she's got that Kyle Seelig in her a little bit where she's a grinder and um, she's working what, she's trying to figure out what her weapons are, but she will run for every ball. She'll yeah. try to make it another ball and, um, and she's resilient, you know, like she's she's uh, for a freshman like to lose 6-0 in the first set. Um, I think Michigan, she did the same thing, 6-1. We were joking yesterday that she didn't win her first game of the of the match until I think 1.37 p.m. And she lost <laughs> 6-0 and her first set in single 6-0. Um, so it took her about 90 minutes to get a game. But, you know, but resilience from her to just be able to figure out a way. And she was super coachable, which we've talked about because in the beginning she wasn't because in, in it's not normal in Europe to be coached in the middle of a match and to a coach tell you like, Hey, this is what you need to do. And then they make, well, yeah, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I don't. And she's kind of understood that it's like, if you're told, like you got to do it. And she adapted and, you know, found a way. And obviously that was Alana's first match. So even for Alana to play, That long of a match, her first match was actually, I was really surprised, you know, because I thought that if we go into a third set that her level might fall off a little bit and it didn't. And it was ended up being an unbelievable match.
0: Mm -hmm. No, it was really fun to watch. And, you know, again, the depth this season and we did a power five series over the off season talking to all these coaches, the excuse I have is I got all the boring ones out of the way and now I get to talk Mm -hmm. to the fun ones like you, Coach (laughs) Kinyako. Um you know, that depth, I feel like that's the difference in college tennis now compared to even five, ten years ago. It's just you look at the quality of these one through six single spots. Everyone can play. Like I was watching, you know, at the National Indoors, I mean pick a name out of a hat. The only one that gets under my skin is um Oh, I'm, uh, I'm blanking on the Cal six singles player because I was like, we're really going to do five hours again today. Like yeah. you're killing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's just a grind. But I just feel like the level of play, that's the biggest difference in the past five to 10 years. That you have to be good everywhere to compete in that, you know, the team ranked what what was Harvard like 71 coming into the match. It's yeah. still a really good squad. Is is that a fair assessment? Yeah. It's the
1: depth. Yeah. I mean, you have girls, like you watch national indoors, do you watch, you know, some of these teams, I mean, like you have girls that are in junior grand slams playing five and six singles, you know, and, and also sometimes not good enough to even start for these teams, you know? So it's, yeah, I mean, you just can't afford, like you can't afford to give away a point at this level, you know? I mean, like if you're, you don't have the depth and you lose the doubles to, to be down to zero and, you know, to try to, to compete with these teams is just too difficult. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of great international players are starting to, I think, see Kyle's tennis a little bit more. Um, coaches are working super hard to, to fill these lineups, I think. I think it's been way more competitive from our side in terms of recruiting and all of that stuff, which makes it a great product. But yeah, there's it's it's amazing to see, like, yeah, I look at through some lineups and can't believe that that girl is playing five or six because it's it's crazy depth.
0: No, it, it, yeah, it's like legitimate. Again... I'll say a name for you. Like Fiona Crawley would play number one singles at all, but like maybe three schools. And even then she'd be in the mix and it's like, nah, she's at four. Um, And it's like, and it's justifiable. It's crazy. But, you know, I'm curious from that perspective and looking at your roster, I know it's a mix of obviously U.S. born players, international born players. I know you're still young in your college tenure, coaching tenure, but has it become easier for you even this early on to sell college tennis to international recruits? Has it been easier? Um, Has it become easier? I suppose.
1: Uh, I mean, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't say easier. I mean, I think I think um, it seems more that they're open to to conversations. I just think it's um, it's super super eye opening for them when they finally decide to visit school, when they finally come onto campus, and they get it because they just you know there's not many places that they've seen that have five training rooms and, and, you know, three, three weightlifting rooms, um, that they, that they grow up in, you know, so once, once they get in there, they kind of get it. Um, you know, but, uh, obviously we're, we're trying to get a mix. We've gotten a couple of Americans for the, for the junior class. So, you know, we're trying to have a good balance here and that's kind of been the vision of the program.
0: Yeah, it's, I think it's a good thing, certainly for college tennis. You see the quality of play, you see the plethora of players who go from the college ranks now to have success in the pros in both the men's and women's game. I, I just feel like it has to be a net benefit for all college programs to see that happen. Um, you know, at the same time, as you're, you know, as you're recruiting college tennis, I suppose more broadly, has it become easier to sell the game in total as a pathway to the pros?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, especially, you know, in a, from a financial standpoint, like what we can do to, to help the, the players I do. And, you know, you see some of these players uh, that are, that are doing well. I mean, a lot, for sure, a lot on the men's side, but I think you are starting to see it way more and more on the women's side, you know, with, uh, you know, like guys like Kofer and, and all these guys that are doing great in the pros. So it's, it's, of course it's nice to, be able to use them and say, like, look, you can do this, you know, Um, and also to help them financially. So absolutely. I think, you know, uh, everybody needs to take a look. I understand some players are very, very good and there's a handful that can make it on the on the thing. But I definitely encourage that every international needs to at least try to educate themselves and have a conversation about it
0: yeah there's there's worse worlds than having someone pay for your training for four years right i'm just like on your dime do it i'm in um for sure that extra surgery let's get it um but (laughs) all you know all those things added as well when you look at the added depth how competitive things are the five hundred rule exists more broadly for the NCAA. And I know it would be probably have to be a player led thing, and you know, to get coach you know, to get the NCAA to do anything is like pulling teeth. That said, should the five hundred rule be waived? Because when I look at your scheduling, right, I see the Oklahomas of the world, the Oklahoma states, the Michigans, the Baylors. You're trying to play the best to prepare your team to be its best. Would you like to see the five hundred rule
1: waived? Um That's that's interesting. I mean, I I, honestly, I don't have a preference to be honest with you. I I mean, I I consider and say like, I like one or the other. I I don't, I mean, I like the component of having the 500 rule of, of, you know, it helps you kind of plan your schedule a little bit and you can't just schedule the best in the conference and and all of that stuff. I think, uh, you know, if if you're the, if you're the SEC and, and then you just schedule on top of that, you just, Continue to schedule great matches over and over. Like you're gonna, you're gonna. At some point, you're gonna beat somebody, and you can, and you're gonna get into the tournament with maybe even just five or six wins. You know, so I do like the component of it of that. Like, you know, you can't. You know, maybe if you're in a different type of conference, you that you don't have some of these opportunities that you still, um, you still need to be smart and schedule smart based on your team instead of being able to be five and 15 or six and 14 and making the tournament. So I, and so I kind of like that.
0: Yeah. In that same vein, are you a fan of playing matches out regardless? I mean, regardless of stopping the broadcast at the clinch, do you guys try to play everything out?
1: Um, we don't, I personally like the clinch clinch. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I think from January to May, I think it's all about the team. And I think, uh, I would say majority of the time, um, I, I think probably 90% of the players that I've coached in, in my last six years here at UCF would probably prefer to clinch clinch. Um, I just think they're more about the team and it's first to four. And I think um, for, from our end of things, you've seen players sometimes lose a little bit of interest once the match is over and uh, and, and maybe coaches as well. But I just, I just love it for the fans and for the growth of tennis to keep it simple and know the fans know that it's clinch, clinch, and it's a good feeling or a bad feeling right when that thing is over. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and in the fall, it's the time to play individual and and help these players however we can. But, you know, with most of these good matches, you're going to have a lot of tennis played anyway, so I like the clinch-clinch. Yeah,
0: I like it. In this same vein, a couple of rapid-fire topics for you here, and take as long as you'd like on the answers. Uh, you talk about, again, the clinch-clinch in clinch the product and and the enjoyment of it. One of my pet projects to get incorporated into college tennis substitutions. In particular, I don't think a match should ever end on an injury default. If there's an injury on a court four, you have bench players here for a reason. Have one of them slide in. Let's finish the match regardless because I just like, why waste the opportunity with a retirement due to injury? In the same vein, I'm curious as a coaching tool, and let's say it was like one in doubles and one in singles. Wouldn't, wouldn't it benefit a coach? And help these players know, like, hey, you don't get your ten-minute lull because if there's a ten-minute lull, I'm subbing you out. It would also be fun for the fans. We're the only sport without substitutions. Would you be pro-substitution?
1: All in, all oh. in on it. <laughs> in. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't. I don't know what else you're gonna ask me, but uh, I think I think there's a lot of changes that need to be done to college tennis. I think substitutions is one of them. I think that's something that um, we have to we have to stop thinking. Uh, about how tennis has been and we need to start relating to some of these sports that are all over tv and and you know i mean to have a lot of people like you who do who do what you do for our sport and um like women's volleyball, women's softball, um, the basketballs. I mean, it's just wrestling, like it just needs to, we need to do a lot of different things. Um, But back to your point, I think substitutions would be great. I think it's exciting for fans. I think it's exciting for the seven and eight player to stay ready and that way they're, you know, because sometimes it's tough. I mean, like like you said, these teams have ridiculous depth. I mean, you have legit, you know, players that are on the bench or unbelievable players that you got to tell them that they can't play. And it would be nice to be like, okay, hey, maybe you're at seven today, but you're going to maybe have your chance in 30 minutes or an hour to so stay ready. And you can have your opportunity. And and then sometimes coaches find like who their real players are sometimes, too, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think there's a lot of changes that need to be made to make tennis better. I'm all in.
0: I also although uh, coaches have pointed out, well, isn't that just a changeover to which I say good point. But I would like to see one like two minute timeout for each coach where you can bring in your entire team like let's just say there's a really bad opening 20 and you can just be like all right I'm calling my timeout." you know coach Kenyako's called it there's his one he's got none remaining and you can just be like what are we doing here and I want to see like because you know there are some coaches who would chew them out and it would be delightful at the same time like I just think it's a fun element it's another thing tennis doesn't have
1: yeah I I think it is I mean I I would be for it too I mean I for me, I personally wouldn't say more than one uh, per match per team, because first of all, our formats, it's too long anyway. I mean, we played Oklahoma and it was four hours and 20 minutes. So the last thing a fan needs is an extra, you know, 90 seconds to to wait there. Um, So that's something we need to think about, but I do think it'd be nice to, to call them in and, and uh, wake them up sometimes
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine That's something coaches would love You're like, yeah, yeah. give it I, Immediately No coach says no to that uh, Right You talk about, again, the the format and the lull uh, Something that's been floated around, I know Is simultaneous start And the idea of playing Whether it's one doubles and four singles Or two doubles, three singles Whatever it may be And to me, if you do that That's where the substitution becomes that much more valuable Is simultaneous start in ten- college tennis's future?
1: And, and do and do a shortened format?
0: Yeah, or just, I mean, you know, again, you can play the doubles two out of three sets, you can play the singles two out of three sets, but everything starts at once. There's no pause, because as one coach framed it, you're creating a permission structure for fans to leave, like in that five minutes of, okay, I saw my doubles, I'm good, I'm going to head out. To yeah. alleviate that, you just start everything at once, and then, there, you know, again, there's not the lull, because, like, the first set of singles, it matters to us, but to a lot of people, it doesn't matter at all. And so, like, so getting, you're, getting rid you're, of that...
1: You're saying one doubles match and then and then four singles match all at the same time?
0: Is that yeah, what you're saying? Exactly. And yeah. so it's just five points.
1: Yeah, I mean I I I don't really I mean I don't really love that one just because uh I think it's you know, then you have one you you potentially have one, you know, you like you said we were talking about the depth earlier, right? So yeah. you have potentially girls that are five five or six who are maybe 50 in the world and then don't even make the singles lineup for their teams and they're only maybe playing doubles the whole year, something like that. You know, um, you know, one thing that I, I, I always kind of liked was to kind of put the doubles point at the end yeah. and uh, make it a 10 point tiebreaker because it's for me, it's like college tennis, it's an ultimate high in doubles. Yeah. And, and then it comes back down and there's just no other sport has that. Every other sport, you can come seven minutes late and you don't really care that you missed the beginning. And I think tennis needs to kind of find that system where it's like start slow because everyone is bored in the first set of singles anyway. Mm-hmm. And you can a family can come late and then it gets exciting to see if it gets to a shootout for doubles or not, you know. Yeah. So. No,
0: I love the tiebreaker at the end. That would be fascinating. The other one Brad Dancer pitched to me was cumulative game score, where it's like every game actually does count. And in, you know, we'll just say two hours on the clock start. And it's like, hey, who can win the most games like in this stretch of time? And every game that matters on every court. And so, you know, blowouts do matter. It's like an 0-1-1 mm-hmm. victory is worth the same as a 7-6 in the third victory right now. Let's actually correctly weigh all of these things. I know I have too much time on my hands is what this is all. No, I
1: like like it. I mean, I I don't mind it too. I, you know, I think that's a, that's a really big change. That's a big, that's a big scoring change. But, you know, I think, I think the number one thing that matters is the time. You know, I think the scoring is fine. And, um, but I think the one thing that we just have to change is we just cannot have four hour college tennis matches although I get it like I believe in you know like I know tennis is tennis and it needs to be physical and played like that but we just can't do it and we're gonna lose crowds we're gonna lose fan bases if we keep it this long when all sports just keep shortening and shortening and we're not and uh no matter what score you do I don't care if you play to one point or 100 points it needs to find a way to be in a two to two and a half hour window to keep people engaged
0: yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. Now, with all these things said, big picture, and I promise I'm almost done here. As you look for college tennis and growing the sport, is it a marketing thing? We should, you know, should we be focused on changing the game, all these different format tweaks, or is it now time to focus on the marketing? Like, is, is it a marketing problem or a product problem?
1: Yeah, it, it, we we literally had a meeting with our marketing team the last couple of weeks uh, multiple times about this, um, about marketing, but I think it's a product problem. I think, I think, uh, at the end of the day, like, I mean, if we played, we played Oklahoma state on a Friday night at 5. PM and it was a four hour who's staying till nine 20 at night. Sure. You know, so, and, and, and these are, these are the matches you want to see the tightest, the best matches, and people are just going to go home at seven 30 for dinner, you know, after work. Um, so I don't think it's a marketing problem. I do think they do what they need to do. They email people in, in, in Orlando and high schools and this and that, and we try to do as much as we can to engage, um, but at the end of the day, I just think we need a, a faster product, a quicker product to a winner. Um, I think that's gonna be the biggest thing, which will lead to, to tennis on TV more the other day, which will then lead to it being cool um, yeah. and coming because it's on TV and seeing more.
0: Yeah, no, I I read a report once again of all the non-revenue sports. Tennis has the highest retention rate in-person of fans. If you go to a match, you're very likely to come back. How do we get people to keep coming back? You mentioned some tidbits there. I would, if I can, pry um, the things you do for community engagement, because that is ultimately the bread and butter, right? And it helps at UCF that you guys are in Orlando, <coughs> you've got the national campus, these gorgeous courts to play on who wouldn't want to enjoy a match there. But what are you guys doing you know you mentioned things like emailing high schools is it the basic things such as that just getting out in the community
1: yeah i mean i think it's the most the most you can do is just the is boots on the ground right like work and um you know we did a we did a kids clinic uh, that the usta helped us with for our michigan match you know so just getting out all those kids there and trying to do a lot of those during the year i think those are super helpful um inviting inviting to do um high school coaches clinics to get in face with in person with 20 to 30 coaches. So they kind of get to meet you and then they feel like they can bring their team over to, to watch you a couple times a year. Um, you know, probably, probably things like that. You know, I just think that if you, you know, email blasts and stuff like, like that are great to, to invite people, but I think you need to find ways to do, to get people face to face in person, um, and, uh, to get them, you know to have some sort of connection to come and you know hopefully it just grows you one year you have 200 then 300 400 and kind of just grows from there
0: did you get the invite to play like a local 50 league and they're like come on like you'll get to meet all these faces they'll come to your matches
1: yeah no I, I should but yeah I've been I've been getting into the paddle tennis game, so yeah. I'm trying to get that crew out there. <laughs> you know, that's right here. It's paddle and pickleball. Like that's what all
0: you all these coaches nowadays. Like Roditi tells me on and on. He's like, I'm going to be number one in the world. I'm going to leave this job
1: yeah i know i can't do pickleball though i can't i just i can't do it but paddle tennis all day you're too young for pickleball
0: paddle tennis is at least a little bit more physical yeah pickleball yeah. is like Is i started running in these circles before i left michigan of like 55 they're like you want to play pickleball i'm like sure what else am i doing <laughs> um, and you're just like this is a, i'm like why am i doing this yeah. Uh, yeah yeah so i would agree with you there um with all that said again One final question but I didn't ask, I suppose, about your team. And, you know, you look in particular as up and down the roster. Again, you've had a bunch of people fill in and have success. But certainly, as we look, all of us wondering, you know, for redshirt senior uh, Valerie Zaleva, is she going to come back this year? You know, we see the three matches played in singles. Are we going to get to see more singles in her? How healthy is she at this point of the season?
1: Um yeah i i I don't think she's gonna she's gonna return um obviously you know
0: with her family yeah of course
1: yeah we just want to kind of keep it in house with her and Mm -hmm. um you know she's obviously been uh a tremendous part of uh ucf in the past and and has done some you know incredible things and achievements here at ucf that um you know i'm sure she'll be proud of um but yeah unfortunately we won't be without her this year mm-hmm. um you know but we'll just um you just got to keep going and and uh, you know hope she'll be all right and you know she's but she's had a you know a great career that she should be proud of and uh but yeah so that's it with her
0: yeah that's fair but again looking at your team clearly they have found their footing i mean again three in a row and 10 and six overall as you head towards conference play. And, you know, as we know, a Coach Kanyako-led team, always dangerous when we get to May. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, obviously, Coach, again, congratulations to you and your team on the recent run of success. It's great to see, uh, again, you guys getting healthy and getting into form. And I think we all know the best is yet to come. So, good luck to you all uh, here this season. Stay safe, stay healthy, and obviously, don't be a stranger. We'll have you back soon.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Alex, man. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, of course. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with UCF Women's Tennis Head Coach Brian Kinyako. A huge thank you to Coach for taking the time to chat. I should point out to all of you listeners, I was accidentally wearing a Michigan jacket throughout the duration of the podcast. Of course, I did an interview with Adam Steinberg earlier in the day that you'll be able to hear both on Thursday's episode of The Deciding Point and on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed here later on in the week. And, you know, if I'm going to talk to my head coach, I'm going to rep my gear, of course, but I am well aware of the fact Coach Kinyako and Ohio State Buckeye through and through, I was unaware of the fact that I was still wearing the Michigan jacket while the podcast was going on, and I appreciate him being a good sport, you know, I'll. Not making a joke about it on the show But that was an unforced error by me And speaks to the character of Coach Kenyako, Who is always a joy to talk to And again, thank you to him for taking the time Hoping he and his team continue to stay healthy And have success throughout the course of this 2022 season Of course, if you want to hear more About what's happening across the college tennis world We've got you covered Episodes of The Deciding Point Every Tuesday and Thursday Live on our YouTube channel At 7pm Eastern Time on Tuesday for the women Uh, Excuse me, 9pm Eastern Time Tuesday for the women 7 p.m Eastern time Thursday for the men of course we've got our broadcast Friday we're talking all things and covering all things SEC Sunday we cover all things big 10 uh, we got you covered as we try to continue to grow the game we love so dearly in college tennis of course if you're looking for your pro tennis coverage mini break podcast great shout podcast and the website crackrackets.com also the places for you of course if you need the more immediate updates Twitter Instagram Facebook YouTube we are at crack rackets you want to message me directly I him at A.L. Gruskin. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of these podcasts possible. A shout out as well to our friends at Swing Vision. Again, to learn more, click on the link in the description to this pod and use our promo code CRACK20 at sign up. With all of that said, for our fantastic ass Brian Kinyako, our super producer, Daniel Westoff our friends at Swing Vision, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of of the Cracked Interviews podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it?